Welcome to Once and Future Authors, changing lives one book at a time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. And welcome to the Was and Future Authors podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so thrilled to be joined by award-winning author Maureen Reed of Becoming Herself. I see she's rolling her eyes up there in her square because she only became award-winning like this morning, but it counts, and I am thrilled. We have one award on the book. There's going to be a whole stream of them, so you better hurry up and get your, uh, your book now before there are more and you can't even see her name. So welcome, Maureen. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Still floating on that cloud of award winning. <laughs> <laughs> you said the funniest thing to me earlier. It's, it's kind of like making the honor roll. Exactly right. It's, uh, that's what I think about it. A college friend of mine sent me a note. I said, remember when we made honor roll or Dean's List in college? It's that kind of recognition. Somebody said, good work. Somebody that doesn't know you said good work. And it's, it's the need for affirmation. It's, it feels good. high achievers. Absolutely. It feels good. It's one thing for people who know you and love you to say, that was a great book. Right. But, but those strangers, you know. That's right. That, that's exactly right. It's, it's, the, it's the third party that, that's there because it's that you think are experts, whether they are or not, probably is open to debate. But <laughs> compared to... Compared to my friends, they're experts. Or your husband, who or my I, guess, husband. <laughs> I don't know. Is he is he objective? Does he really tell you what he thinks, or does he say? Oh, oh, trust me, oh. not since we were nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm married, not quite as long as you are, but long enough that I've actually had to say to him for certain things. By the way, the correct response is, "I loved it, honey." <laughs> uh, and my husband's correct response is, "Yes, dear." <laughs> Absolutely. They're well trained. They're well trained, and that's the goal, is we want to train them well. So so this is book one that is now award-winning, and tell us a little bit about writing book one, and I know that you're wrapping up book two, so... Well, I think what I can do is really talk about what the difference has been between the two since it hasn't been that long. So Becoming Herself took about three years from what I call the concept to cover. You know, um, oh, I like that concept to cover. I'm going to steal it. Right. No, I actually do a little. I do a little program on that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no wonder it sounds familiar. <laughs> I have the flyer for your program, of course. So, so it's talking about a debut author at a certain age, right? So, I always, as you know, had this idea to write a book, and and I would do that. I periodically would go to it. I would think about it. I'd write. I'd put it down, I'd write again, I'd put it down. And I didn't know the process. So what I've learned, thanks to people like you, who've been more than helpful for this, who've been a guide, um, is the need to 
I don't want to say there's more discipline because I'm, I'm relatively disciplined when it comes to the work, but it's a focus. Mm-hmm. I now know, you know, okay. So one of the, mis- so what I learned for the first book when we were just having this chat earlier is I didn't keep a timeline. So mm-hmm. my character is written in the first person and I would have, I'd write a whole piece that didn't work because the timeline didn't work. Right. She felt we were too young or we're too old or she was too young. So now I keep a timeline with, and, and I saw that um, J.K. Rowling says the same thing. So that made me feel. So you're in good company. I'm in good company. Um, and so, and then I would go, and then I'll check in and say, okay, this is, and this is the event that would happen. And what age would these people be at that event? Mm. So, so what happened between, and it, it's really something, particularly I think when you're writing historical fiction, which is what I do, is, okay, how old are they? For example, in, in this book, I'm really focusing on the shirtwaist triangle factory part. Right. And, and all of the work that was done around the labor laws, particularly for women during that time. I write from, as you know, from a feminist perspective. But it's like, okay, well, how old are my characters? How old would they be? What happens at that time? Would they, is this realistic? If they get yes. And I think that would be one of the, the pieces that I would offer to a new author, particularly is to keep track. I don't write with an outline, as some do. I think it's probably a panzer. I write yes. Yes. You're flying by the seat of your pants. You know, so, you know, so I wrote a whole section, for example, in this, in this, the new book, book two, on World War One, and it didn't work, mm. you know, and it worked in terms of timing, but it sounded more like a lecture, a, a history lesson. Than, gotcha. You know. So you have to have somebody who does that, but the timing worked, and so I keep list of, I keep track of, and I go back to it all the time. Does this work? How old? What if this happens? If somebody's reverting back to, in, in book two, there's a character who talks about his family coming over from Ireland. And it's before, and it's be, and it's around the time of the Great Hunger, um, or the famine, as the English call it, the Irish call it, the Great Hunger. Um, but how old would his grandfather have been? How old would this? And you have to, because readers will will catch you on that. Yes, they'll say that's not the right time, or that didn't work. And so that's so. I think having learned that, it's making book number two became an easier process. So, and I now like having my name on a book. (laughs) (laughs) And I know how that And she's got some empty bookshelves in her house. Right, you know, and so I want, um, so there's more impetus to to try to do that. It's like, this feels, it feels, I don't want to say it feels like a job, but it's it's more of a focus. Right. Well, I think also success breeds success. Yeah. You know, now that you've done this, you know that it's eminently doable. Yes. You know, so so doing that second book. Um, I love what you're saying about the timeline, especially since you are dealing with what happens in America and what happens in Ireland. Right. You know, and and subsequently the rest of the world historically that you need to make sure these things are in. You mentioned writing um, historical fiction. And I love those two words together because fiction essentially is, you know, you're making it up and historical is no, you're not. Right. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that, the, the dichotomy between historical and fiction and how you bridge that. 
Well, I can actually give you an example, as you know. The first the, the character in Becoming Herself is loosely based, is inspired by my grandmother, who was an Irish immigrant. That's about it. Um, a couple of pieces in the book are stories that my mother told me, but my grandmother died 12 years before I was born. So this wasn't like, I wasn't at her knee hearing these stories. Right. My cousin, I have a very large extended family. So my line is being, my cousin is in an event. I mean, you're one of 27. Um, but I was talking to my cousin when I was upstate, which is where the book is set. And she kept saying, well, is that true? You know, is this true? I'm going, no. <laughs> well, is that true? No. <laughs> you know, so my grandmother was not involved in the suffragette movement, but she's very much, the character is very much involved in it. Right. So I think what you have to do is, is you have a vision. The fictional piece, I think, is the character comes alive, at least for me. Yes. And then it's like, then how would she or he, I write for my characters are women, my, um, how would they behave in this period of time? What would be going on? What would it feel like? Both, both books are set at the turn of the 20th century. What is it like to be a woman at a time when you couldn't vote? Right? Um, you, in the new book, um, the character's name is Nell, and she gets a bicycle. And that's huge for women to be allowed to be out on their own bicycling at the turn of the 20th century. I mean, things that are, you know, your daughter just takes, I mean, she's been riding the bikes and she's been... Of course. Five. Right. You know, right. In those days, it was considered potentially unladylike. Things like that. You know, so it's that piece where I think you get into what's where the fiction and the history comes in. It's like, this is what was going on which is the history. And then the fiction pieces, and what would my character be doing during that time? Love that. That's a great way of explaining it. And obviously you have succeeded. There's a, an award on the box. <laughs> um, with, with getting it right in that what is appropriate for the time. Right. Now, obviously you're not nearly old enough to have been there no, at the you. time. Um, what kind of research do you do? I mean, you, you get to be creative, but you obviously have to know that time period. Well, you know, it's why there are two places that one is, that's why God made the internet. I mean, we really <laughs> is that why God made the internet? <laughs> I decided to help me write my books. Um, almost anything that you can find that you have a question about, I can find. In other words, what I just said, that the Irish, yes. how the Irish refer to it? You can, I can get that confirmed on the internet. You know, I can ask the question and then read to make sense. Um, so that's really for the day-to-day the -day stuff. The other is, you know, it was a good student. So some of the history I just know. Ah, that good student is coming in. Right, you know, um, as I said, it feels like, you know, when you get an award, it feels like the honor roll. It was important for me to make the honor roll. Um, the other piece is the library. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of hard books. Um, to sit and read and and I do get right now I'm I and I do sometimes buy books that are that are nonfiction. I'm reading one now on I'm trying to understand what was happening in Ireland in the Civil War in 1920 to 1922 I don't know that much about it so I'm reading some accounts of what people talk about you know it's I get the historical perspective yes and 
And then I write and he's okay. Then again, what would my character be doing during that time? Exactly. So important because if your character, you know, suddenly whips out a cell phone, you right. know, you know, that's ob an obvious, you know, faux pas, but, but there are authors who slip up and I would guess um, new authors who are just kind of dipping their toe into historical fiction forget that if you are setting something in the turn of the century, all of this that we have is not there. And you have to figure out not just the stuff, the food, the transportation, the education, the expectations, the value systems, all of those things for your characters. And the language. And I'll use the example in the new book, there's a character and her name is, she's referred to as Miss Stephen. Um, when I'm writing it, I automatically would write MS because we don't use Miss anymore. Yes. You know, so I mean, it was a conscious nobody, you know, and it, it, it was a conscious decision. Nobody would call them that. And it was a much more formal world. So people would call themselves by their, by their last names, where we've gotten much more casual and when we meet people in terms of how we address them. That's an interesting, just that one thing in language. And I'm sure that there are many linguistic things that they used to say then. I don't know. Is, was the Oxford comma more in than in this now? <laughs> I've been having an Oxford comma question today, you know. Um, <laughs> really? You know, but it is true in terms of how would, how would people be addressed? How would, um, what were the social norms? You know, again, in, in the new book, she gets a new outfit to ride a bicycle and she shows her ankles. <gasps> yeah. Her ankles, <gasps> you know, and takes away a lot of the um, all of the the stuff that women wore, you know, and is all gone. My line is, you know, it's a story. It's a time when women um, gave up the corset and found their voice. <laughs> I love that phrase too. Say that one again, so our, our listeners can hear it. All right, it's the time I write in the time when women gave up the corset and found their voice. That. Mm -hmm. that. So yeah. vital. And, and I can't thank you enough for writing about that so that today's young women and older women don't forget that there was a time that women had to give up the corset and find their voice. That's so important. That's okay. huge. So you have your timeline. I'm thinking in terms of new writer wants to dive in and try, try some historical fiction. Um, make a timeline. Um, do some research, whether it is reading fiction or nonfiction that deals okay. with the right time period so that you're understanding more of what's going on, what's authentic. But then your characters, your, your characters are what, what earned the little gold seal. Um, and and they, they come to life and now we feel, we cry, we laugh, we are, as far as I'm concerned, they're sitting right next to me here and they are alive. Can you talk to me a little bit about your characters and how they've gone from just a thought and a figment to actual breathing people. It, um, they, I think, and I think every writer probably does it differently. They just come to me. Um, for book two, I initially hadn't thought of writing the book I did, just did. It was going to be a little different, set in a different place. Um, and the character kept coming to me. It's like I have to tell her story. And so once I started, so once I started to do it, and you know, I think if you walks on the beach, walks in the park, 
when you're by yourself. It's when that's where my mind works. Um, and it would be like, this would happen. She would do this or she wouldn't do that. Or this character needs to do X, Y, or Z. And hopefully they make you want to, I like my character. And the ones I don't like, I don't like those, but I don't like the kids, you know. Um, <laughs> but I try not to make them, and I actually have to take a look at this with this book. I try not to make even the negative characters too negative. Mm-hmm. So people can say, why would you even have anything to do with this person? Right, right. You know, they're, why, why are they flawed? What happens in terms of the flaw? Um, but they become, they become very real. And I think it's probably true for most authors who write a fiction. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, I think you can tell in the writing. Yes. They well, I think that's what makes us want to read more is that your, your heroine, for example, um, she's not perfect. Right. You know, she definitely is multidimensional. There's things about her that, you know, quite frankly, are flawed. But the bad people also are not just pure evil. Right. You know, they might have started out treading down the right road. They might have even sometimes a moment in, in a bad situation that you re- look at them and remember, that's why I've been married to this person for all these years or whatever. You know, there, was, there are those moments. And that's, and that's authentic. You know, every single person in my life, even the ones that, you know, I could really do less with. I don't mind a little pandemic here and there to keep them away. <laughs> um, you know, they're not all bad. Right. And, uh, and that's what makes for great movies and stage shows and books is that multidimensional aspect of them. Right. And yet you care. I mean, I think that's really, I think if I care about the characters, then the reader will care about it as well. You know, absolutely. The other piece I would say to a new writer to be careful of it is, and I say this more as a reader than as a writer, is I find, and this book is the new book in particular, is how does it end? I find it very unsatisfying as a reader when it sounds like the book just ended. Ooh, okay. You know, it's like, okay, I'm all done with this. Right. You know, I've, I've met my deadline. <laughs> I have my number of words in. And then, you know, and now it ends. Right. Um, and so I think sometimes, and I did it more for the first book than the second, but the first book I knew the ending because the ending is actually based on um, food. Um, and then back up in terms of how have I set the stage for the ending. Right. And because if not, I think the reader feels left disappointed that they're still, yeah. what, you know, it's like unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. And I would think that the ending, I, I mean, I jokingly say that the three hardest parts of writing a book are the beginning, getting started, the middle, keep going, and, and the end but you're talking, you're so right. I mean, if I've invested hundreds of pages of my time into reading this, you know, whether I would have written that same ending or not, I do need to have some sort of a feeling, not of, the hell was she thinking? Why did this happen? You know, why didn't it happen? You know, or where are they? Exactly, exactly. Do these characters now, and and I hear this from fiction authors all the time and love it, that they're actually... In your head that okay. you have no choice but to write them because they 
need to come out. Well, and that's what I just what I said. I had not intended to write the second book. But they needed to come out. It's got to be Mel's story. It right. was like, okay, so now, let's go. <laughs> tell me a little bit about, and, and I uh, characters surprising you. Um, a character maybe doing something, and, and I always think this is hilarious because you're the author, but, you know, did a character do something when you were writing and you kind of looked and said, oh, I didn't realize you were going to do that? Yeah. I, I think it's more, it's not so much doing something to saying something. Okay. Like, um, so I know that... This is what's going to happen. So let's let's talk about in becoming herself. There's a scene where Margaret, the main character, is involved in the suffrage movement and in upstate New York. And the women are disparaging. The other women are making negative comments about farmers and farmers' wives, of which Margaret is one. And Margaret really stands up and retaliates. So, but I was surprised at what she said. So as I was writing it, this is what, you know, she would, she would say this. And I had no idea what she was going to say. I, I love that. I love that action. I'm picturing you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did this at the computer. At the computer and channeling Margaret. That's exactly what. And so I'm amazed. I was surprised about what she said. I wasn't surprised that she was going to say something. Right. But I was surprised at, at what she said. Oh, oh. So, so you have to, I think, go with... Now, I don't know whether people who write an outline feel that as much as us changes. <laughs> Just go and start to say, you know, where's the character going and what are they saying? But if you really know your character, when I, when I speak with writers who are pantsers... Um, they're not just flying by the seat of their pants because they have done what you have done. That character is inside of them. And, and so it's not like you're just on a tightrope without a net. You're character-driven rather than, say, story-driven. And that doesn't mean that there's no story. Don't get me wrong. But it's the characters that are driving the action. And I think that that's just so incredible. Well, and I think, and it's, and I write in the first person, so I write as the character. And I think that actually changes the dynamic as well. So they become, I'm their voice. Yes, you are. Come through me. Um, You know, I'm not sure if I wrote in the third person. Mm. I don't know how it would be. And I don't know how well I would write that one. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. You know, we were were talking about things to say potentially to a, a new author. And I don't know that many new authors realize, not that they don't understand the difference, but what a difference that one decision can make in their writing. And if, a, if an author had started, let's say I was new and I, I started a new manuscript and I'm 20 pages in and I feel like, eh, I'm just not doing it. You know, maybe changing it to a first person narrative would inject that missing inspiration, that, that beam of light that was out. And that's a great thing to tell people. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the one of the real advantages that my husband, as you know, is an English teacher, um, is... Well, free editing is a big issue. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that we would talk about in terms of whether we would just read the same book or, or talk about literature is whose voice. 
Mm. And I think it's, you know, I'm very clear when I write whose voice I'm writing in because I'm writing in the character's voice. It's like, how does this person view it? As opposed to, you know, I don't do, I don't write prescription well. I mean, the setting and, you know, the wind was blowing and how, because people don't talk like that. When right. I yes. Um, so I use, I think, a model that works for me. I write dialogue better than I write description in my group. Um, so that's what I use, and it's comfortable for me. But I think the writer has to determine what that works for them. Yeah. No, that's true. And there are, and there are plenty of fabulous books written in the third person um, that are incredibly authentic. It's just one of those decisions okay. that I'm not convinced that all new writers make um, intentionally. I think that people might begin their book and start writing and not even have made that as a decision, but sometimes swapping it up, kind of like the way you, you change what side your hair is parted on and it gives all new, you know, life to things. Yeah, and, and that's it. One of the other advice is that if it doesn't work, step away and either come back or rethink it. Now, I didn't have to do that. I don't have empty manuscripts in a drawer that, that didn't work. Um, for whatever reason, but you know, but there are times that I look at something going, this doesn't. As I said, I wrote a piece on World War One for the, the new book, and right. it doesn't work. Yeah, and and that's so commendable for you to realize that it didn't work. You know, yeah. some people hang on to every word like, well, I already invested fifteen pages in this. I don't want to get rid of it, and that's a problem. Like, yeah, you might have to get rid of those fifteen pages. Yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't help the story. And I think that's when, and I think the other advice, and, and I know you will be doing this, is you do need to get it out to others that you trust to, be, to say, do you like, you know, my line is always, do you want to turn the page? Mm. I like that. You want to find out, do you, do you care about enough that you want to find out what's happening you want to turn the page? And if somebody suggests, then I think we're successful. That's great advice. Great advice for our new writers. So you've got another book in the works and then a third book. And then the next thing you know, we're going to have seven like J.K. Rowling. Oh, yeah. No, I don't have enough time for that. But. <laughs> we're stuck in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's really, I have to tell you, I've done that and thousand piece jigsaw puzzles. So. Oh, okay. So that's that's vying for your writing time there. Yeah. No, I've, I've put those away now. Enough is enough. It's like, <laughs> I, I need my dining room table back is what I decided. Oh, yeah. Well, I get that. We need to, because one of these days, you'll be able to fill that dining room table with people. That's right. From your lips to God's ears, right? It's going to happen. It's going to mm -hmm. happen. <laughs> so while we're speaking, I mean, this could be listened to for, for years to come and people will listen and say, what pandemic? But for the people right now who are getting started, um, you know, getting out the old, uh, well, tell me, paper and pen, typewriter, computer, what do you use? Oh, it's actually, it's the computer in me. You know, I mean, it really becomes a, that's why when I said talking, my fingers start to move. It's, but I've always felt this way. It's like when I, when I see the words, it's almost like not, well, one, I can't read my own handwriting. So that's one <laughs> <laughs> now all of the um, the nuns, you know, from Catholic school would be appalled if they saw what had happened to it over there. Oh, I won't tell. You know, but the um, it's when I start seeing the words in front of me, they create a life of their own as well. 
So I begin to hear them and go, and they would say this, and I can type fairly quickly. Oh, really? Yeah, I've got good keyboard skills. So good for you. I type with two fingers. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I can do, you know, I so I can keep up with me. Oh, good for you. For the for the most part. Yeah. Oh, that's. So, so the Catholic school did help you with something. That's exactly right. Yeah. But it, and I did that. I mean, my business background made the difference. I mean, I really had to do that in my professional career. Right. But the and that's what works for me. I mean, I've got the skills, and I just sit there, and it just starts to come. You know, and I know people. I think J.K. Rowling just talked about. I think she used um, pen and paper. You know, um, and I know Hillary Clinton used. Kind of paper by the time. It's just so I think whatever again, I don't think there's any right way of doing things. No, no, everybody has their own, but sometimes hearing what a successful person has used almost gives us permission to try other things. You know, sometimes people who are on the cusp need to hear, oh, that's the way she does it. I can do that. Yeah, the other thing that I got that may help, and I I use this somewhat. I don't use it as much as I thought I would. But I got the microphone that you can okay. and it types. Now, what you find is how it, it doesn't always type what I thought I just said. <laughs> you have to go back and, and edit it a fair amount. But if you're on a, particularly if it's like, I just want to get this down, that's it, it, it's a useful tool to have in your back. Right. It, it might not do the whole book, but it's a useful tool. Now, are you a person who writes at the same time every day? Do you wake up and you write after your cup of coffee until noon and then nap like Hemingway? Do you write deep into the night? Do you just write when the inspiration hits? What's your schedule? Whenever I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that, the joy of being, of being retired at this stage is, you know, not having that both of family responsibilities and professional responsibilities right. is that it's like this is a good time. I find I write when I want to say inspired sounds a little too okay. Andios. But when something happens, you know, that I need and some of it is like I just need to get this done. So let me get that um, but it's much more I'll wake it a thought will come or an event will come and it's like let me let me just start trying. I find I do it midday. I mean, I think I should say it's like after coffee. Okay, so she's not a three in the morning writer. No, no Edgar Allan Poe with the candles. And before one. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> then those adult beverage time frame. I, I was gonna. That was my next question. Tea, coffee, or wine? What do you do? I just not coffee. Not coffee. <laughs> the other two are absolutely a daily a daily requirement tea and wine absolutely um is there irish music playing in the background nothing no i mean some it's really just it's you know i've got a quiet office space this is not it um and i can just sit there and i've got sun coming in and fresh air so it's not like i'm in it's not a cubicle right right and um i can just start to write and i do get lost in the writing I mean, I can't have the hours that, you know, all of a sudden you come up and go, okay, you know, this was major. And then by the time you proof it and read it, I think the hardest part, by the way, for a new author, for, for me even, is you need to keep editing your own work. Mm. So you need to read it. You need to read it when you write it. You need to read it when it's in context. And then you need to read it again. 
and then you need to read it again. You know, and you need to read it and, and say like this doesn't work or this this wouldn't make sense. And and you have to be so it's good to set it down and then come back to it. So you're almost reading it not as the author but to read it like this. And if you pick it up that many times and read it and you hate it, that's a sign. That's right. <laughs> that's definitely a sign. Well, you have, you have been quite the inspiration. I'm sitting around waiting for book two because I loved your ending. And ever since the ending, I've been sitting there waiting for book two. And now that I'm hearing that there's a book three, I'm just clearing my reading schedule. Yes, well, we have time. <laughs> Absolutely. So just uh, tell our listeners also where they can find you and find your books and some of the things that you've been doing. They can find me on Amazon. Um, they can find me on the typical on Goodreads. They can find me at Maureen Reed Author, which is very clever. <laughs> you help me um, and I think that they can, you know, what I would suggest that, that a new author does is spend some time talking to people who know the business, such as yourself. Um, and to remember, because we talked about the creative process, and I'm just going to end with this, that it is a business. It is and, a business. And, and, and it is a marathon, not a sprint also. And I get your quote. I quote you a lot. Yeah, it is definitely a marathon. You know, I'm thrilled that we're talking about book three because, um, you know, book three sells book one. You know, right. there's there's a process to this. And book one, yeah, I loved it. But people start reading you when you have book three out. Well, and people who have read book one say, when is your next one coming? Well, that's a great sign. <laughs> and even these people are waiting. The gold seal people are waiting for the next book too. So, so, so it's great fun. I'm having a good time. Well, I am delighted. And, and a huge inspiration to all of us, not just to write, but to have a good time. I'm all for a good time. Absolutely. You know, it's too much work for it not to be fun. <laughs> well, especially with all that wine and tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And well, thank you for having me. And we'll have to have you back on when we get to book two. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. And happy writing to all of you. Hope you were inspired by our author today. Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.